The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So today I'd like to continue a discussion that we've been having for a while now on the Eightfold Path. And um, today the main theme will be uh, wise livelihood, which is one of the, f- the fifth aspect of the Eightfold Path. It's in the, uh, the, the, the Eightfold Path can be thought of as divided into three sections. A section on wisdom, which comprises wise understanding and wise intention. A section on ethics, which comprises wise speech, wise action, and wise livelihood. And a section on um, mental cultivation, uh, which comprises wise effort, wise mindfulness, and wise concentration. And all of these pieces interrelate. It's not that you just cultivate one and then go on to the next one. That as you cultivate any one of these, it's also simultaneously supporting and um, cultivating at least several of the others, if not all of the others. And the ethics section of the Eightfold Path, wise speech, wise action, and wise livelihood, can be kind of considered the foundation of the practice, some of the practices of Buddhism. Um, as most of you know, I think the Buddha was trying to find what he thought of as the solution to the, the main problem of humanity, which in his understanding was, why do we suffer? You know, why do we struggle so much in our lives? Why does this happen for us? And so in exploring this question of suffering, um, he, um, he understood that, that harming, you know, harming ourselves, harming others, is kind of one of the central aspects of suffering in the world. You know, you can look out in the world and kind of the obvious ways that we suffer are the ways in which we harm ourselves and others. And so in terms of looking at a solution to this problem, he, he, he said, you know, it's really helpful to start with, with ethics defined in um, the, the way of non-harming. You know, that we, um, in exploring our practice, we strive to behave in ways that don't harm ourselves or others. So the, the suffering of self and other are understood to be intimately interconnected. That when we harm others, that we're actually harming ourselves too. And when we harm ourselves, we can be also harming others. There's one uh, teaching uh, uh, discourse given by the Buddha in which he uses a teaching story about acrobats. And in this story, there's the, the senior acrobat and the acrobat in training. And the, um, the senior acrobat says to the acrobat in training, so he says, um, so you should look out after, you, after me, and I should look out after you. And in that way, we will both be safe as acrobats. And the junior acrobat said, actually, I think... I think it's more like I should take care of myself and you should take care of yourself and then we'll both be safe as acrobats. And the Buddha said that 
it's both that we both need to take care of ourselves and in taking care of ourselves we take care of others and in taking care of others we take care of ourselves so this foundation of ethical conduct of of non-harming is a is a key piece of the buddhist teaching how we engage uh, in action with others and this um section of the Eightfold Path, as I said, has three components. Wise speech, which is non-harming through speech, having four components, refraining from uh, false speech, refraining from harsh speech, refraining from divisive speech, and refraining from idle chatter. Um, The second aspect of the Eightfold Path is wise action, which is refraining from taking life, refraining from taking what is not given, and uh, refraining from sexual misconduct, refraining from harm through our sexual uh, actions. And then the third aspect is wise livelihood. So how do we engage in, as lay people in particular, how do we engage in earning a livelihood in accumulating wealth for ourselves to support ourselves, our families, uh, our friends, how do we engage in that livelihood? Is it, um, are we engaging in our livelihood with non-harming? Are we engaging with this um, intention to take care of ourselves and take care of others? So the, um, the Buddha had some words about this. <coughs> By whatever means by which a a person earns one's living, and in this case he offers some that were common at the time, by farming, trade, cattle raising, archery, or civil service, or by some other craft, one is skillful and diligent, one investigates the appropriate means, and is able to act and arrange everything properly. An alternative translation for this, because I thought some of those terms were a little bit confusing, However one earns a living, at that one becomes skillful and is not lazy. One is endowed with the power of discernment as to the proper ways and means and is able to carry out and allocate duties. So he's pointing to basically ethical conduct in our livelihood. So ethically, peacefully, honestly, engage in earning our wealth. The Buddha, in places, talks about the happiness of, there are several kinds of happiness for the lay people, for lay people that are kind of worldly. Uh, They're connected with our worldly activities. And one of those, he says, is the happiness of wealth that has been rightly acquired. That we can uh, take a kind of a sense of happiness that in our earning of wealth we're not harming others. And that then we can use that wealth in skillful ways to support ourselves, our families, to support um, things that inspire us, to support... Um, we can think of our, our wealth almost as resource to nourish what is meaningful to us. And so this is a way in which he says we can have happiness as lay people by 
using our wealth, not to hoard wealth. He, 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 talked that, he said that hoarding wealth was not so helpful, that it just created a, a, a stingy kind of mind, and that you know, we can think of our wealth as being something to, to be useful to the world. <coughs> so earning that wealth, acquiring that wealth in a right, rightly way, uh, basically, I mean, at the kind of most basic level, it means um, engaging in a livelihood that doesn't require us to um, go against wise speech and wise action. So engaging in a livelihood that doesn't, acquire, that, that doesn't require us to be deceitful or divisive or harsh in our speech, that doesn't require us to be false in our speech. <coughs> um, it doesn't require us to do idle chatter. <laughs> that, one, that one is more challenging. I'll, I'll, maybe I'll talk about that in a little more in a bit. Um, and then wise action, that, that our livelihood doesn't require us to kill or steal. Um, or harm people with our sexual conduct. So that's kind of the foundation, you know, that, that our livelihood, if we are interested in, now the, it's not a judgment here, you know, this isn't, this isn't about judgment, it's, it's about what's skillful for, for making us happy. So it's not about, you know, that's bad, and, or, you know, and that's, you know, right and wrong. It's not about right and wrong, it's more about skillful, unskillful. What will help us to become happier human beings? And the, this ethical conduct, the whole section on ethics is really about what kind of behavior supports happiness as human beings and avoiding the kinds of behavior that, support, that, that leads us into suffering. <clears throat> so the Buddha also had a few... Um, occupations that he said, you know, you also shouldn't engage in these. I mean, that there's, you know, it's kind of clear about uh, livelihood that would require one to uh, break the precepts of wise speech and wise action, that that wouldn't be so helpful. There's some other occupations that the Buddha explicitly said, you know, these two are not helpful for us as a whole for our, our society as a whole. Trading in weapons. Trading in living beings. Which would include um, selling animals for butchery. Um, pimping, slavery. Um, trading in meat. Trading in intoxicants. And trading in poisons. So the actual trade of these things... Um, isn't directly breaking the precepts of wise speech and wise action, at least in most cases. I mean, in the trading with living beings, there may be some harm caused um, to those living beings in that act of trading. But, you know, trading in weapons, trading in intoxicants, you know, selling, selling wine, you know, selling... Uh, drugs. Um, you're not directly breaking the precept of um, engaging in intoxicants or engaging in, in harm yourself. But it's understood in a way that these, these occupations um, provide the container or, the, or, or support the fact that others may uh, harm themselves. 
So he, he recommended avoiding those kinds of occupations. So for ourselves, you know, the, the, um, you know some of these are um, we can avoid some of these. And yet in our culture, you know, it's maybe not so clear. And you know, we can, we can take this, what is a weapon? You know, what is a weapon? Um, you know, even in the Buddha's day, you know, the knives, for instance, you know, he, you know, knives can be used as weapons and they can be used as, you know, they can be used to chop vegetables. <laughs> so, you know, knives are useful. So trading in uh, knives, you know, we have to come back to our intention. You know, what is the purpose for which we are engaging in this activity? Are we engaging in selling these things or in trading in these things to support um, murderers? Are we like on the black market selling um, knives and guns? Or are we doing, um, you know, selling knives in a cutlery store? You know, what is, what is our intention? And likewise, you know, it gets even more complex in our culture. You know, computers. Computers can be used for peaceful purposes, for purposes of supporting um, health and uh, diagnosis of illness, or they can be used to wage war. So again, you know, we have to come back. Intention is key in our uh, engagement with our uh, livelihood. Is our purpose to create harmony, or is our purpose to um, make as much money as possible by selling, you know, our equipment to people that might use it unskillfully. So it's, you know, it's a gr- there's some gray areas. There are definitely some gray areas and we need to explore ourselves what our intention is. Let's see what else the sutta says. Well, actually, I think I'll read a section from um, Bhikkhu Bodhi says. He summarizes a, a dis- discussion on right livelihood from a Thai text. And he says that in that, in that uh, writing, right livelihood comes under three kinds of right actions, or, or three kinds of headings. There's rightness regarding actions, rightness regarding persons, and rightness regarding objects. Rightness regarding actions means that workers should fulfill their duties diligently and conscientiously, not idling away time, claiming to have worked longer hours than they did, or pocketing the company's goods. Rightness regarding persons means that due respect and consideration should be shown to employers, employees, colleagues, and customers. An employer, for example, should assign his workers chores according to their ability, pay them adequately, promote them when they deserve a promotion, and give them occasional vacations and bonuses. Colleagues should try to cooperate rather than compete, while merchants should be equitable in their dealing with customers. Righteousness regarding objects means that in business transactions and sales, the articles to be sold should be presented truthfully. There should be no deceptive advertising, misrepresentation of quality or quantity, or dishonest maneuvers. And so we see how these all kind of come back to non-harming and uh, taking care with honesty, peacefulness, um, taking care of our fellow human beings.
So I have another kind of section I want to talk about, but I just want to open it up and see if there's any comments or questions at this point. Yeah, Joel, could you pass the mic back? Yeah, I, it's not definite yet, but I have a potential job, I'm between jobs now, but potential job where there's going to be some definite defense-related stuff, but mm. it's not selling the weapon itself. It's more documentation, technical, technical documentation, uh -huh. and it's only part of it. Um, according to some of the things that are just mentioned, I mean, I'm going to assume the company's legitimate, say the people are honest, and, you know, it's, it's complex software. It's probably, you know, quite expensive, and... You know, some thoughts come to my mind. Okay, yeah. this is, you know, I'm going to be, could be calling a Lockheed or whatever. It's not, the, you know, it's also I'd be calling, you know, an airline that could be, you know, documentation could be help the parts, you know, help save lives and make exactly. sure that, right. that the plane's not going to crash, whatever. Exactly. Like, yeah, so that, that's, you know, kind of how to frame it for yourself in a way is what's my intention. Um, you know, it's, it's, I think that in these gray areas, we really need to explore for ourselves, you know, what, what the, how does it land for us? And does it create some distress for us to be doing this? Or, you know, it also creates distress to be out of work, you know. So, yes. so, <laughs> so you know, that the, the, we kind of have to weigh it off a little bit and look at, you know, if indeed it is a, a situation where, you know, the parts could go into commercial airlines versus uh, Navy jets, you know, that it's, it's, it's almost impossible to not be engaging in a livelihood in a way uh, for something that um, could be used in an unskillful way. Um, so, you know, the, we have to just connect to our, ourselves to what our own intention is towards non-harming. Um, yeah. And, you know, reflect on it for yourself. And you don't go into it with a kind of a, you know, blinding yourself off to, um, uh, you know, just kind of cutting it off and kind of not looking at it. You know, that's kind of just putting it, putting it out of our mind. You know, be, acknowledge to yourself, this, is, this, could, this could be the way it's used, and, and perhaps make reflections for yourself. You know, may this be used for skillful purposes so that you're not just blindly uh, engaged with it. Yeah, and, and, you know, I also look at, thank you, I, I also look at, you know, especially my recent past, and I, I was at a job for a year where I definitely had contacts with the Department of Defense and those types of, you know, armed forces. You know, it was part of the job. It was, yeah. it was just a, a part. Yeah. And uh -huh. so those things come up. It's just like, it's related to the computer industry, etc. Yes. Yeah. And you know, the the, uh, the Department of Defense could be used for defense, or it could be used for <laughs> for actively going out. So you know, it's it's uh, it's question. There's question. I mean, there were at the time of the Buddha, there was the warrior caste, um, of which he was part of. You know, that's what he was born into. Um, he tried to stop war. You know, he he did try to stop war. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's not simple. No. Thank you. <laughs> Did you want to say something, Dev? No, just take the mic back. Okay. Any other uh, 
thoughts or questions? You know, the, the, um, at one point the question came up around you know, being a policeman. You know, that um, how does one engage with, with that kind of occupation? Um, and, you know, the, the, it's not, again, it's not straightforward. Um, the, um, you know, the, the precept on not killing, I mean, the Buddha takes that very seriously. Um, and, you know, Gandhi, too, it was interesting. He had a statement that, that was just so powerful, you know, in making speeches about the um, un, unrighteous conduct of the government, you know, and talking about how, you know, this is not right the way they're treating us. Um, you know, people would get all riled up and, and, you know, they were kind of getting that energy riled up around, let's, you know, let's, let's get them. <laughs> and Gandhi said, you know, there are, men, there are definitely causes for which I am prepared to die, but there is no cause for which I am prepared to kill. So that's a pretty strong statement. And I think, you know, the Buddha would come in line with that. Um, and, you know, it's being a policeman, um, you know, it's, it's not, it's again, it's not straightforward. The, um, the um, you know, the actions that you might have to take in self-defense, for instance. In self-defense, you know, the, the, again, it's not, again, it's not a matter of right and wrong. It's not that, um, you know, you're going to go to hell if you kill. It's you're going to suffer if you kill. And, you know, the police force actually acknowledges this. You know, if, if you have to kill in the line of duty, if you have killed somebody in the line of duty, you know, you get an administrative leave because it is understood to be something that is not easy. I mean, it creates suffering in your, in your heart and in your mind. So, you know, it's, it's an acknowledgement of that. And it's, um, uh, you know, also perhaps if you find, if, if you are a, a Buddhist practitioner and you find that you're in the police force and are routinely having to kill people, you might want to reassess what your livelihood could be. Maybe you could ask for transfer into an investigative department instead of a, an active, active department. You know, it's, like, it's, it's looking at what, how, how our livelihood impacts us and impacts others and where it creates suffering. So, again, it's not cut and dried. Um, the, the Buddha did say, killing will create suffering. This will create harm in the world. It definitely creates harm for the person who died. Um, so it's a, you know it's an acknowledgement of that, and to try to steer our livelihood in a direction that um, minimizes that as much as possible. Yeah, Bill. I was prepared not to think much this morning <laughs> because I'm retired and I quote don't earn a livelihood anymore. But <laughs> um, I, uh, 
I, of course, my long-term livelihood depends on invested funds mm-hmm. uh, that my wife and I have. And now I'm struggling a bit because our fund manager bought some Bank of America shares the other day, which troubled me a little bit. Now it's troubling me a bit more uh, in terms of what and and if I you know, I remember we told them not to buy any more um, of the uh, of an oil company in China that was investing in um, uh, in the uh, where is it uh, in the Sudan uh-huh. yeah. a couple of years ago, but. It's almost impossible to keep track of all this Absolutely, stuff. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it is very challenging. I try to put my, my money in socially responsible funds, but I think there's some financial ones in there. You know, it's, it's really hard to, to do that. So, again, you know, d- doing it as so, best you can. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think I have, I think I've been stimulated to review the whole thing. Uh-huh, yeah. Um, as a result of this. But the other question that arose about my, quote, livelihood is how I spend my time in retirement uh-huh. and whether that is beneficial to the me and the world or whether it's maybe too self-centered and not sufficiently helpful. So I have two challenges out yeah, of this that's morning. A, that's a beautiful reflection, you know, because it, it, the, the lively, livelihood isn't just about how we earn money. It is how we live our lives. So, you know, that in terms of right speech, right action, right livelihood, um, the teaching is around refraining from certain things that are particularly harmful. Um, and we can take it a step further to look at, well, where can I actually be helpful? So, you know, how can I, you know, be supportive and what, what resonates with me? I mean, there's, diff- there's so many different ways to engage with the world in a, in, a, in a skillful way. And, you know, it comes into where our own hearts and minds resonate. You know, for some people, uh, you know, it might be volunteering with the Red Cross or somebody else. It might be going off and sitting on a retreat. You know? So there's completely uh, a variety of of options there. I just thought of a third one. A <laughs> <laughs> um, couple of weeks ago, my daughter, who's been accepted to uh, a master's in nursing at UCSF, um, called me and told me that she got a new letter from them saying that, oh, well, we told you a month ago that the tuition was going to be $41,000 for the first year. Now we're telling you it'll be between 50 and 55. <laughs> um, and there's, you know, most of us don't think of UC as being that expensive, but this is a special program and I won't go into all the details, but that I know. So I said to Karen, um, maybe I should get a part-time job and help offset that increase, and I'd be willing to do that. And she said, don't do that, Dad. You're so much happier not working. (laughs) 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 So that left me with a dilemma that I haven't resolved. (laughs) Uh uh Yeah, I mean, again, so exploring it. I mean, there is... um, 
you know, finding an occupation that uh, does feel good for us. And this is, this is, you know, this is, leads into this next area that I wanted to talk about in a way. Um, you know, the, the being happy while working um, question. Um, I, you know, I worked in the Silicon Valley computer industry for many years, and I was miserable for a bunch of those years. Um, so I decided I would go off to the Peace Corps and let it go. And and yet, the the best way that I felt like I could hurt, help the Peace Corps was with the skills I developed in Silicon Valley. And so I offered my services uh, as a business volunteer and got um, assigned to a development bank where they do these microloans. Um, I don't know if any of you heard about the microloan thing. Um, it's a very skillful, supportive way to uh, help the livelihood of people in a small country. Um, uh, so I was working in that development bank and helping them with their loan system and all of that. And you know, my whole uh, approach when I got into the Peace Corps and was working, it was very different. I mean, first of all, I realized, well, this is something that's helpful for the people in the country. You know, even though all I'm doing is sitting here looking at the, you know, the instructions of the computer program, you know, it, it is a helpful kind of program. And the other thing that I learned about there was uh, how to engage in my work in a more relaxed way, you know, not being quite so caught up in the whole, um, I have to do work to be, a, I guess it was really around the identity the identity of being identified with being the one who does a good job, the one who's praised, all of that. Um, that there, there was a lot of tightness around that and feeling like I needed to perform well in order to uh, get the raises, to get the, the recognition, all of that. And so the time in the Peace Corps really showed me a different way to relate to my work. And then when I came back here, um, I started... Um, practicing the Dharma more, uh, in a more devo- devoted way, more dedicated way. And um, I wanted to go off on these long retreats and um, practice more continuously. And what I realized at some point was, you know, partly I had, I had set up my life to be a contractor already, so I was already in a position where I could... Um, take chunks of time of the year off so my livelihood was set up in a way to support what I'd like to do with the Dharma, you know, to work for eight months a year and take a few months off for retreat. So I began to recognize or to relate to my livelihood not as a means to an end to just earn money and uh, have praise and recognition, you know, kind of all tied in around the job itself. But I saw it as, I, it was kind of a reframing of the livelihood. You know, this is what allows me to practice the Dharma. You know, this livelihood is what supports me to go off on retreat. And when I understood that, kind of that connection, I stopped resenting my work. <laughs> you know, it's like, this is helpful. This, you know, this, this, you know, this is one of the happinesses uh, that the, the Buddha talks about with respect to wealth. I'll read that section to you. The happiness of enjoyment is what he calls it. Uh, with the wealth acquired by 
Energetic striving amassed by the strength of arms, earned by the sweat of one's brow, righteous wealth righteously gained. One enjoys wealth and does meritorious deeds. When one thinks, with the wealth, wealth I've acquired righteously, I enjoy my wealth and do meritorious deeds, one experiences happiness and joy. So this, um, you know, it, it's kind of, it's that reframing around our livelihood. It's not strictly for, um, you know, just the purpose of, of acquiring. It's so that this wealth can be used in a way that feels appropriate to us. And there's a happiness around that. So that when we can make that connection, for me, it really shifted my relationship around work. And so this is another reflection to explore, is um, what is important to you? You know, what are your priorities? And how can your livelihood support those priorities? Now, it may not be that, you know, you directly engage. Um, I mean, for instance, if it's a priority for you to uh, help feed the hungry, you may um, not directly do that, but you may use your resources to support that. Or you could go volunteer in a soup kitchen. I mean, you could do, you could do either to you know, support your, what's important to you. So looking at your priorities and, and coming to an understanding of how your livelihood supports those priorities, whether it's through the, the financial side or through our, our actions. So there's that reframing. For me, that was a, an important piece, that reframing around the livelihood itself. That, oh, this is actually what makes it possible for me to, you know, go off on a three-month retreat. I couldn't, you know, three-month retreat costs money, <laughs> you, you know, so I had to pay for that. So there's that aspect. And then the other reframing or other exploration I began to do was around bringing the Dharma into my livelihood bringing the, uh, the reflections on um, behaving ethically and bringing uh, the practice of mindfulness into my daily life. That these uh, brought a sense of what is important to me in the very activities of my day. So it, it, you know, it wasn't so important um, to me to gain, it, it, it stopped being so important to gain certain recognition, but it became very important to be present while I was working. So that was another shift for me. Um, so those are a couple more reflections for you to, uh, to think about. You know, any comments on this? Yeah, and would you pass the mic back? It should be a green light on the side, yeah. This is a very timely talk for me. I may be starting a job um, next week. I haven't worked full-time for about a year and a half, or a little bit less than that. And um, so one of my worries is, how do I... This last year and a half, I've been so busy doing all these great things, and (laughs) 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 coming to IMC a couple times a week. um, You know, how do I... And I want to, the most important thing to me in my life is taking care of my health. So, like exercise, meditation, sleep, eating real food, those things are top priorities for me. Um, and then also having some social life. How am I going to make it all fit? Yeah. With my first office job in a long time. Yeah. I mean, make it, make it um, central, that question, in your exploration of the job. You know, that. Um, uh, 
uh, that 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 can help you. You know, if you if you don't just go into the job thinking the job is most important, but you think how can I make this fit into my life as a whole as the most important question to look at. Um, so there's a number of um, of explorations. I mean, one of the one of the things to to recognize is that you may not have as much time, for instance, to come to IMC or um, um, to meditate. Perhaps you've been meditating at home. I hope you've been meditating at home. Yeah. You, may f- you may find that you don't have as much time for those activities. Finding ways to acknowledge, okay, so my time is now, I've got, you know, eight hours a day now that I need to be at this office, or maybe nine, depending on how your office works. Um, <coughs> excuse me. And you may not be able to, uh, you know, come here, but perhaps you could, rather than listening to the radio on the way to work, put on a Dharma talk. Or you could, um, uh, you know, at your lunch break, take 10 minutes to sit in your office quietly. Um, take, find ways that you can integrate what's important to you through the day. Creativity is really helpful in that, um, you know, looking for yourself, what works for you, how you can um, engage. I mean, I, I, you know, got to the place where I was, there are certain kinds of work I did on the computer that were kind of concentration-based, you know, that I really needed to focus. And there I found that, you know, the mindfulness wasn't as strong, but there were definitely times in the day where I could really bring some attention to, uh, to bring some mindful attention to just what's happening. Anytime I got up from my desk, to go anywhere, I could just do walking meditation. You know, whenever I had to go to the bathroom, I got a little four-minute holiday. You know, it's like rather than carrying my work with me to the bathroom, thinking about it, I let it go as soon as I stood up to, to, from my desk. I, you know, just was with my, 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 my body and, you know, just exploring the sensations of walking through the hallway and then using the bathroom and you know just the whole thing is like I I, by the time I got back to my desk I felt like I'd had a little four-minute vacation because I let go of the you know the busy mind so there are ways to kind of integrate what's important um, and you know finding you know use the stairs instead of the elevator for your health and you know (laughs) prepare good food to take with you for lunch I mean so making those things a priority rather than, you know, getting up and it's like, oh, you know, I'm just slapping something together or maybe going out to McDonald's for lunch or something because it's easier. I mean, looking at your choices and and we can, uh, you know, if we look at our choices from the perspective of what our priorities are, it can make a huge difference in the happiness in our lives. The creativity, explore it. <laughs> Any other? Yeah. I'll just add one thing to that. And just when I was working this year in Santa Clara, I said to myself, you know, I want to make sure I'm not doing as much meditation now. What can I do? And I realized, okay, I'm working in Santa Clara till five or six, and there is Shyla Catherine has a meditation down in South Mountain View. Uh-huh. Well, I'll just grab a dinner, just relax for a little bit, and then I'll just 
make it a point on Tuesday night. I was able to work that out, and it became priority for me to get that extra, you know, Monday night here for the most part, and then Tuesday there. Uh-huh. And so I added some of that little bit in my life. Uh-huh. Great. Yeah, because of location. Yeah, uh, yeah. A, there are groups all over the place. Right. So, yeah, great. Thank you. So I thought of using a, a few minutes, if there weren't a lot of questions, for a reflection to explore in yourself. Um, you know, just a kind of a... Uh, using reflection can help us I mean, we usually think in meditation of letting go of thoughts, you know, let's you drop thoughts. Reflection is a place, is, is a way of bringing thoughts into our meditation and then seeing how we, uh, we respond. So it's a kind of a, a, it's a kind of a meditation on a theme and see how your mind and body responds to that theme. So that we get some information by dropping particular, uh, particular themes into our meditation. So letting yourself settle into uh, your body. And taking perhaps a couple of deeper breaths. And I'll guide, through, I'll guide you through a, a reflective process. So first, just allowing yourself to settle, connecting to your breathing. And this reflection is going to be around how to connect what's important in the Dharma to us, to our activities of our lives. So allowing yourself to call to mind, reflect on how you engage with your, your livelihood. That may be how you engage in your, in your day-to-day life. reflecting on that, keeping track while you're reflecting on that of how it impacts you to reflect on your livelihood. Does it make you feel tight or contracted? Does it bring a sense of lightness? Are there certain aspects of your livelihood that make you feel contracted and certain aspects that make you feel tight? As you're reflecting on how you spend your day, noticing how the the body, the mind responds to that reflection. And this is a kind of a learning how to think mindfully, this practice say about half the attention on what you're thinking about and half the attention in how it impacts you to think about this.
And then reflecting on any area particularly, if you have an area that makes you feel tight or contracted. Reflecting on how that, how some dharma, how a dharma perspective might support a new way to engage with that area. If you don't have a particularly tight or contracted area, just reflecting on how a Dharma perspective might support your engagement with your livelihood in general. By this I mean ethical conduct, non-harming, bringing in mindfulness, bringing in the perspective of of wisdom, of understanding, suffering, of how craving, wanting tightens us. Is there a way to integrate what's important to you from the Dharma into how you engage in your life. And again, noticing as you reflect about half the attention on what you're thinking about and half the attention on how it impacts you. At times in this reflection, you could let go of the conscious thinking about and just connect with how has it impacted you to be thinking about this for, say, you know, a minute or so. And then pick up the thinking again, giving yourself perhaps an alternation between thinking and resonating, connecting with how it's impacted you to be thinking. So that was the briefest of reflections, but I'm curious what you might have reflected on, what you, what you might have thought about.
Yeah, could you pass the mic back? Well, while reflecting on this, um, I noticed that the value I hold strongest to me is integrity. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> I'm a student right now. So whenever I'm given an assignment and I agree to it, then I feel like I must complete it then. So um, there's other examples too. like. Well, with making promises to people, it's mm -hmm. like fulfilling it, not making excuses, mm -hmm. and such and such. But um, is there a tightness around that at times? Um, well, while meditating on it, I actually felt more relaxed as I thought about that. Uh huh. That that that's a beautiful quality. Integrity is a beautiful quality. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine there could be some, um, I mean, beautiful quality. We can, we can um, act with that beautiful quality in a wholesome way, and we can also become identified with beautiful qualities. And it's like, I have to be the one who uh, appears to be, um, you know, have to be the one who appears to have integrity so that everybody else thinks of me as having integrity as opposed to it necessarily being something that's important from the inside, we, uh, we take on that integrity through how others look at us. And so that's a kind of a, a slightly skewed way of looking at that quality. So if you um, connect to that importance of that quality in your own heart and engage from that place, that, I think that does tend to relax us. You know, it's like, yes, this is, this is an important piece to me, so I will engage with integrity. And then notice at times when it becomes um, um, more important to have somebody else see me that way than it is to actually, you know, because there's lots of different kinds of integrity. I mean, there's or different ways that we can uh, have integrity. We can um, have integrity about um, completing something at, by a particular time, or we could have integrity about doing the best work that we could. Um, and, you know, those two can have conflicts, <laughs> you know, that if we do the best work that we can, it may take longer than the time that we said, you know, so, you know, kind of navigating the, the different kinds of integrity can create some tension for us. And so, you know, it's, a, it's an exploration. But I think that's a beautiful, uh, a beautiful quality to, to reflect on and to bring uh, into your life. You know, how, how can you deepen that reflection? Thank you. Now it's willing to share what you might have. Well, having. Yeah? Yes. Having come just back from retreat, I know a few others here. J just even thinking about livelihood, <laughs> I mean, it, it feels very different. Um, and so I was aware of some tightness, even. And this is very timely because also being a, an artist person, this has been a theme of. How do I even put money, a price tag on the kind of work I do? And the, a phrase came up for me that sometimes sounds trite, but it has new meaning after today's talk about do what you love. Uh huh. So the doing and the being aren't quite as separate. Yes, that's beautiful. That is the key. 
that I've honed in on. Uh huh. That's beautiful. That to to connect with that uh, that aspect. Thank you. There's a faith. There's a trust. Uh huh. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I actually am a stay-at-home mother, so you know, initially it's like, well, work. I don't work. But um, you work. <laughs> right. <laughs> I found the um, little directed meditation very interesting and realized that um, because I don't have a formal job that I, I have sort of been carrying guilt because of that. Oh. And um, my husband, who's the breadwinner, is probably could completely relate to your past work experience. He's software, it's boring, he's tired. And a part of me feels I should be stepping out there and picking up the slack, but since I haven't worked for 20 years, it's, um, you know, it's not possible, actually, to support our family. So um, guilt definitely came up, which has been kind of subconscious. Mm. So I appreciated being able to identify that. So the other thing, yesterday my um, daughter, I have 15-year-old twins, she came home from school, she's a freshman, she said, Mum, people have so much money. And she rattled off this friend of hers whose birthday and concert tickets and the new latest iPhone, and she rattled off all the money. And the girl, you know, suddenly it was like, well, they've probably got two incomes, um, which I didn't say, because I think my kids feel we could be much more material if I worked. Mm. So sitting here, all this was going through my head, and I thought, you know, we don't what we don't need me to work. We we don't need this stuff, and I really want to do more meditation on this. Yeah. I was just getting started, but I want to have the confidence and be clear that what's w- important to you. We have so much, yes. you know, not to be caught up in this material world, and really. Me being home has been a terrific gift for our family. Yes, yes. Um, and I think one day they'll appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> Can you appreciate that? I, I know that. It's been a little bit... When they were little, it was easier to justify. Yes. Uh-huh. And it's a bit of a transition. Now. And I guess with my husband being more unhappy, although I want him to listen to this talk because <laughs> he's got his passions and it allows, certainly it allows him to fulfill his passions. Yes, and I, I yeah. really appreciated that bit of advice you had. Yeah. So, you know, this kind of reflection that I offered, you can do this on your own. You know, it's, it's a little more challenging to do it on your own without having somebody to keep reminding you, come back to your body, 50% of the attention. But you can do it on your own, and it's a very helpful way to think about your life. You know, c- contemplate what you do and how, what's important to you and how you can bring the two together. Um, and this, this kind of reflective practice can actually be used for many questions in our lives. Um, so I just encourage, I encourage you to, to play with that. We need to stop now. So. Thank you for your participation.